Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the India Independent Films Podcast, where we talk about films with a special focus on film writing. I'm Pankaj Sajdeva. I write on my blog, uh, That Got Me of Irony, and also contribute to articles on the IF uh, website. I have with me Rahul Desai, critic for the Film Companion, and also writer for many other publications. Uh, we are back after two months. Actually, actually, I'm back after two months, but Rahul has been hosting this podcast with Uday uh, Bhatia, crit- critic for the Live Mint, uh, on some of the very other recent movies that have come across. Uh, these are the last few days of 2022, so um, we thought we'd cover how the year went by, although Rahul might have been asked the same question mm-hmm. by, uh, in terms of writing and other podcasts, uh, but we still thought we will cover something on the year that went by. So, uh, Rahul, firstly, have last two months been and anything that you would recommend for everybody to watch? I mean, I mean it's sort of strange that it, it feels like it's been two months. I felt like it's been only a month. But yeah, I think we missed uh, earlier this uh, this month's podcast earlier. But I'm glad we are talking end of the year. Uh, and it's true that I've been um, doing quite a few end of the year. <laughs> Uh, end of the year podcasts and videos and all but then you know it's been that kind of year as well as for the last two months um, tough to say because I I don't actually because it's all a blur I don't actually remember all I remember is uh, you know the the big releases which was Aftar 2 uh, which you know White Lotus sort of finished its uh, run finally and people were waiting for it uh, I in between had gone to the Kerala Film Festival um, uh, down south so I, I caught up on a lot of world cinema that I missed uh, through the year because you know we didn't have any film festival to watch at any films at in Bombay so um, so I'm glad I went there I, I caught a lot of films I would have otherwise missed and you know how it is if you don't catch it on the big screen you get lazy to catch it on your laptop or your TV so um, some I, I can you know recommend some films from there which might drop either on movie or some other platform next year uh, one of them was uh, Lucas Don't Close, which everyone is talking about. It won the Grand Prix at Cannes. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful films of the year. I won't uh, say anything about the film, except that it will be coming on movie maybe in March or April next year. It's about two children who are best friends and how their friendship is tested, basically. And I watched Decision to Leave again. It was my favorite film of the last two or three months. Uh, it released on movie, but I caught it on the big screen again at the festival. I'm very glad I did. It was... For me, one of uh, the most skillful films of the year, and you know, we know about uh, Park Chan Wook and, and you know his cinema, but it's a very different kind of film. It was for me the most romantic film of the year, and you don't get to say that because there are very few love stories um, that we get to watch. And uh, for me, uh, this was really a standout film of the year. So these, I mean, these particular titles in the last two months, I really enjoyed. I did watch. Uh, uh, a bunch of other films at the festival but you know it'd be unfair to speak about it because not a lot of people have watched them as for commercial releases I wish I had better news but uh, I didn't like Avtar 2 at all it did not work for me Um, all I remember is that Avtar when I watched it back in 2009 in theatres was a fairly eye-opening experience it was fun Uh, this one was a mess for me Um, maybe also because I'm fatigued at the end of the year I think uh, but, but you know, it makes no really real difference to box office collections. As we speak, it's breaking records and all. Um, it, it, the year also ended on 
sliver of hope in terms of Bollywood because this was the first Rohit Shetty film. Circus was the first Rohit Shetty film since I I don't know like two decades to have like flopped basically and and not done well and it's Ranveer Singh's third flop in a row. Uh, I'd say that's I mean I'm not someone who roots for uh, films to do badly but. I'd say it's a, it's a sign also of sort of Hindi cinema transitioning into a new period uh, where, you know, you can't just sit back and sort of uh, milk your own legacy and make lazy films. And Circus was one of the worst of the year. So I'm, I'm sort of glad Rohit Chetty got a reality check in that sense because he's been just churning out on autopilot a lot of films over the years and all of them have done well on his name alone. And uh, even though I feel sort of bad for Anvir Singh, it was easily his worst performance. And just recently when I'd written about him and his performances, I said that there's no such thing as a bad Anvir Singh performance. But this is the first of that. And so a lot of uh, rules have been broken in that film. And uh, it, it is only fair that it did badly. Uh, so in that sense, I'd say Hindi cinema ends on a high like this year for me. Before I go into the questions, you know, I'll first ask about, you know, Steven Spielberg recently made this comment and it made huge uh, news that he hmm. the perception that has developed against sharks after Jaws. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I it took me back to the piece that you'd written in May, I think, uh, which where you explored how Jaws and your, you know, again, uh, relationship with your personal. And there was this line there that she said, you know, the shark wasn't really the villain, uh, something like that. Yeah. Now, it sort of validates, I felt like, what uh, Steven Spielberg said in a different context. Would you like to say what your views on Jaws were and how you treated uh, shark? Yeah. Uh, so, treated a shark <clears throat> as the so uh, you know, as a as a as a child, obviously, um, you know, one of the greatest things about you know uh, uh, about my father that I got from him over the years was his love for music and his love for movies. And one of the first films he showed me was Jaws, even though it was absolutely unhealthy to show like a nine-year-old or ten-year-old kid a film about a shark, which could and I was taking swimming lessons then, so it could have put me off the water forever. But the thing is, he sort of also, when we watched the film a bunch of times in my childhood, um, I I never really, right from the beginning, I never really looked at it as a film that is an anti-shark film, anti-environment film or anti, uh, you know, or it's a horror film. It For me, it was a horror film about human paranoia, about a, about a lot of things, uh, but it wasn't. For me, I was always almost rooting for the shark for the longest time in that film because it is basically about humans going into a shark's territory and uh, sort of uprooting that shark. And because the shark is sort of um, a little disoriented, um, it's sort of basically making a film about that conflict. But um, I was never really, I always used to feel a little bad in the end when the shark sort of explodes, you know, uh, even though that wasn't probably the reaction that Steven Spielberg had aimed for and just as he has aged over time and has become a little regretful about what that film did uh, you know in terms of anti-shark mentalities all over the world and it's a fact it probably did like uh, a lot worse than any any ad campaign might have done or any uh, or any actual shark attack might have done uh, but I don't think that was his intention when he made the film right it was it was a lot more than that 
for me it was a father's it was a father son story it was a, a story about a husband it was the shark itself for me was a metaphor for the man who is hunting the shark and that's what i wrote about in my piece as well that's why it's so interlinked with my memories of my own father and his own life and uh, for me it's one of my favorite films of all time like i i consistently mention this film uh, as a top 10 contender in all my uh, you know in all my list because it it's just it's so skillfully done and um, it's unfortunate that it's this is the legacy that uh, it it sort of accrued over a period of time and i was a little happy to hear that spielberg actually acknowledged that because not a lot of filmmakers a lot of filmmakers will wear that as a badge of pride saying look how good the film was that it actually changed the world in terms of their attitude towards sharks which is true in a way it was that great the film was that convincing but i think a, a, the metaphor was lost on a lot of people and only i i'll admit even with me like only as i grew up and grew older and watched the film a bunch of times over uh, over the years that i started to think a little more deeper about the film because obviously as a child you're either rooting for the shark or the man uh, and you just take great pleasure in the thrills of the film and the way it's crafted but uh, all these things later occurred to me and and of course if it maybe wasn't made in the 70s if it was maybe made in the 90s or the 2000s uh, the legacy would have been very different because people would have been a little more self aware then and a little more exposed to um, the kind of discourse out there the kind of uh, uh, the entire environmental sort of um, crisis that we are going through right now so i i think then people would have been a little more responsible and careful about the way they received the film as well yeah this reminds me you know something um, again sherni vidya balans sherni vinil yeah. uh, so you know that has now when you were talking about it it just reminded me how it has also a similar metaphor like the sherni uh, like the woman the sherni and also a right. line nature is to live there it's humans actually who are sort of the uh, uh, hunters okay that's very interesting uh, got it so now my next question is you know uh, this the sight and sound magazine uh, you know they came out with a list you've tweeted about it but you didn't tell us which yeah. 10 films you voted for because yeah. i read uh, rangan sirs i read jayarjun singhs but i was waiting that you would also know uh, at least tell us so what were your 10 films yeah weirdly i um, so I, i basically contributed uh, to it in july like are you to share uh, i don't know if there are any confidential agreements uh, no no i am we are allowed to share like i think everyone is very proud to share their picks and all and i i, I was sort of amused by the fact that everyone was very uh, excited about sharing this because for me it was in july and i i quickly sort of had to do it in a day because i was traveling then and uh, and it's all you know sort of your favorite change from year to year so from I, i didn't really the problem was with that list is once you send it in you don't really have a backup of what the, your list was your 10 10 films were so o- over the last 6 months or so i've actually forgotten a number of names that i mentioned in that list but i can tell you that jaws was one of them uh, you know and i wrote also a paragraph we all were required to write a paragraph on all these films as well um i i do remember also mentioning uh, amadeus which is the film about um, you know the fictional sort of biopic about mozart and his rival uh, for me that was personally a life changing film because i woke up to 
it it's one of the only period films so to say that i liked and it also sort of triggered my love for classical music uh, for the longest time and uh, you know till date i still listen to a lot of mozart when i write sometimes depending on the piece i'm writing about because of that film uh, the, i i think i then i went for my usual ones which is which was basically reflected the way i grew up not the classics that i watched so there were no citizen kane there was no uh, satyajit ray film there no godfather nothing i think there was um i think there was eternal sunshine of a spotless mind just for how innovative inventive it was uh, the way it sort of changed the narrative i think there was um there i i think there was casablanca which was the only classic there because again it's a film very close to my heart it was one of the first films we were shown in film appreciation back in 2007 8 when i was in college and uh, it, it to till date you know even though i watched it only a handful of times i remember possibly every uh, scene in that and it also opened my eyes to how films were made in the 40s and 50s and how advanced they were how evolved they were in terms of dialogue in terms of human interaction and in terms of performances and and that film is some some uh, a film that i keep going back to from time to time um then there was i think uh, if i'm not mistaken there was uh, in the mood for love obviously because there's there's also a poster here basically all these three films behind me uh, posters there's were in eternal sunshine in the mood for love and her all three of them were part of the list um and um, i think there was um taxi driver uh, which was obviously scorsese's best film in my view at least um that's all i remember for now but i'd say it was a it was a mix of a lot of films post 1970 1980s you know like unlike the other list that i've come across uh which obviously uh, sort of covers a cross section of cinema over the decades uh, uh, for me it was a more personal list and i i went with my gut uh, instinct and i wish i just could sort of find a link to that what we've written down so that i can share it because i was not so much about the list because the list will keep changing every year in my head but i was particularly happy with the paragraphs i wrote about each film because uh, it, it just it was one of those moments where just things just flow uh, so i i was uh, if i ever come across that list i'll share it yeah no emily first <laughs> hmm. Uh, you know me i mean everyone knows it not no secret amli was there it was possibly the only french film on the list even though there were a uh, bunch of french contenders but yeah of course amli was part of the list so again you know i wish i could share it because uh, i'm happy with what i wrote about these films yeah. now you know uh, the last year has been a little bit um, shift back to the theaters uh, has it been difficult for you to write about films like adjustment back to theaters because earlier you could pause what has been the shift like yeah the shift has been little disorienting uh, uh, i for example like going to a theater and watching film is great for a purist you know as an experience it's the best way to review a film to watch a film to experience a film i agree with that the big screen there's nothing like it but for critics in general weekly critics as us um, that shift is very important because we got so used to the last two years of watching and sort of taking our time and really dwelling on each aspect of every film and pausing and rewinding that now when we go to a theater we have to immediately program your mind saying you know whatever you're seeing won't come back so start paying attention from frame 1 it should not ideally be a problem for seasoned critics 
but the last two years have been so tough for everyone that it's very difficult to reprogram yourself and so you miss a lot of details again like these are things you wouldn't complain about two years ago when we were watching every film on the big screen but now it's i'm a little more uh, paranoid when a film starts in a theater uh, that you know i start taking notes from the first frame so that i don't forget things not because i'm observing things it's just the details so that i don't forget what i make of them later in my review i don't care about but i just uh, i'm very paranoid so i start noting down uh, very early and because i start noting down very early i may miss a lot of uh, things on the screen as well like that tends to happen so it's a vicious cycle it's it's a little weird i've gotten more used to it over time but there are times when i wish i could watch it like action hero i wish i could watch parts of it again they released it in a theater but you know to watch it again you'd have to go back to the theater which we don't have the time for because we have to send in our reviews so um so yeah it's been a little disorienting in that sense but uh, w- what's also been a problem is that with the return of this theatrical experience and the press shows basically which the culture of press shows where you watch a film two or three days before the film actually releases in cities like bombay and delhi um normally they show it on a wednesday or thursday to uh, to a journalist here um what happens is now i think uh, it's become more of an event they milk it out like too much now earlier it used to be just go in watch the film uh, short interval come out and leave go home now just to watch a two hour film basically it takes up to like three and a half to four hours from your doorstep to the theater and back now i mean this may sound like a very first world complaint but for critics who are always sort of tried for time it's a bit difficult because if there's a film screening at 4 pm you now most screenings start at like 4:30 or 5 and then there's a interval so that everyone can eat so there's a half an hour or a 40 minute interval by which time the memory of the film starts getting very sort of um, you know faded in your head and and it's it all adds to your frustration with not being able to watch a film the way the filmmaker meant uh, for it to be watched and um, the these press screenings that have become events and they take up half of your day and and put you in a bit of a sort of a problem these it never used to be this pronounced before the pandemic it's become a little more now i think pr people have become little lax and little lazy about these screenings they've started to stretch it and they've started to invite a lot of influencers and online people who can tweet about it so it's all now it's an all in one thing it's not just journalists it's also sometimes the stars or the crew themselves or the family of the crew so i'm not a big fan of that and i wish they would do away with it and just hold one like bare bones screening for press because we it's not like we are demanding we just want things to start on time and end on time so that has been a bit of a problem because it affects the way you write about a film whether you like it or not it affects your frustration with the film if it's bad already so coming home and then being late and then sitting through the night it tends to take a toll on your psychological uh, viewing experience right right okay. <clears throat> okay so now i wanted to ask about uh, uh you know before you mentioned that do you write on your take notes on your cell phone or do you have a notebook uh, uh yeah i <laughs> take notes on my cell phone at the lowest possible obviously the lowest possible light brightness uh, yeah brightness uh, it's it's literally like i can barely see it myself but uh, you know thanks to autocorrect and all those notes are fairly coherent uh, 
um, I've tried taking notes on notepads like, you know, like a good uh, critic should so that they don't disturb other people uh, with their phones. But uh, invariably what happens is I tend to write over uh, every sentence because you can't see anything in the dark. So those people who've been doing it for years are a little more conditioned to do it. Like I know a lot of uh, friends and colleagues of mine who do it very well and I envy them for that. But I still am very used to taking notes on a phone. I mean, I I watch very I watch very few movies on the theater because I don't yeah. get to see them. But I take a notebook and I when I come back, I have like twenty pages just <laughs> making sure that you know I have not overwritten on anything. So you waste so much of space. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious about that. Okay, now let's look back the year. What has been your most uh, favorite piece of yours that you enjoy writing the most? Um, so, I mean, two things there, like, um, I, I, I mean, like most satisfying to write are the ones that sort of you're very, um, proud of by the end of the year that tends to happen mostly, or you're very happy with in, te- in terms of what you wanted to communicate and how you did it. Uh, for me, I think reviews. So I, I'll mention like two genres of writing because there are two genres of writing I do one is the reviewing one is the column writing um so in terms of reviews alone um I'd say my um the review of Geraya which I had to do like early in the year uh, which I really struggled with because um it took me like a good 12 to 14 15 hours to write and I wasn't sure if it had come out well but the reactions to the review sort of convinced me that you know um uh, whatever hell I went through, something came out of it. And when I read it now, I, I, I'm i sort of put back into that night that I was struggling to like put sentences together. So I'm particularly happy with, uh, proud of the Geraya review, which I did, because it was a very divisive film also, a lot of discourse. I got a lot of reactions, say we hated the film, but you know, your piece really is something and it made us sort of appreciate, uh, you know, reviewing in general, which which, you know, critics never, I mean, they'd be very fortunate to get reactions like that. And this was the only review that did that. Uh, another review I'm very happy with is the Panchayat 2 review, which was also early in the year. Um, I it It's a show that obviously moved me a lot, but when you get moved, you tend to have a tough time writing about it because you don't know uh, how uh, you're going to put it together in coherent form. But the Panchayat to review took me the least time in terms of when I like a film or a show. It normally takes me a lot of time to put my thoughts on paper. But the Panchayat to review somehow, <clears throat> it worked in a way that it sort of flowed in a way because I was very sure of what I wanted to say. And normally it's how you want to say it where you, where you get stuck. You know, your use of language, your use of turns of phrase uh, and your sort of uh, your attempt to make the piece more readable. Uh, I think Panchayat 2, I was particularly happy with. Um, then uh, there was also my decision to leave review, which was, I think, last month, um, uh, which I wrote for OTT Play, uh, not for Film Companion. Uh, it wasn't a review so much, but it was a piece about the film and my sort of reading of the film. And I was, uh, it, funnily enough, it was a piece I was putting off for a while. I was very nervous to start writing it because I didn't, know if I could do justice to a film that I loved so much and that moved me so much. Uh, but there were so many things I wanted to say. So I was very intimidated by the film after watching it, saying, am I even capable of writing a review about this? 
but the end result that i put it off for a day or two and then when i finally wrote it one night uh, and you know it took me most of the night i think all the effort all the emotions all the paranoia was worth it because i was very happy with the review that came out as far as my columns are concerned i think uh, the the one i wrote about vishal badwa short film um you know uh, mumbai dragon um i think that one is very close to my heart because it was even in a year of personal essays it was probably one of my most personal and it i rarely i rarely write about my mother but it was one of the very few pieces i wrote about my mother because we do live together so there are a lot of conflicting emotions there are a lot of experiences you go through when when you're going through this phase of life where you're an adult but you're living um, you're sharing space with a parent um so so that was and the reactions i got was great you know like i was very happy by that but in general also i was very happy with um, with the fact that i was able to put down some very difficult emotions on paper without sounding disrespectful or dismissive uh, and with you know being able to be self aware enough to admit that um, you know we are all flawed in our own ways and especially children who grow up into adults and start resenting their parents for getting old so uh, for me that film short film was one of my favorite films of the year and it was also one of my uh, i guess my favorite pieces this year you you actually answered my next question in the sense like i was asking you know uh, so there was the gehraiya review but there was also the news 9 uh, live piece on gehraiya yeah. which is a column on you know father yeah, yeah. Uh, has i for me i think that was been your most personal piece since i read, started reading you did you feel that the same and it was about you know the sort of your entire story yeah. i yeah. and was it easy to write that one also and uh, had that personal yeah no i'm glad you reminded me of that piece because you know the geraya phase was a blur because it was the review and then it was the column almost a few weeks later a week later and i was al- already wrestling with a lot of ideas and a lot of um things i wanted to put down but was i was very nervous to do that because as you said i think it is one of my most personal pieces and it's difficult to be that naked also in front of you know your readers in front of whoever's sort of reading your column and um you and i i i remember writing it and thinking that what will sort of what will my father think like if he reads this it's it's difficult because your parents are still around it's not like you're writing about them later so um so yeah i was i was it it wasn't easy to put down at all it was very difficult but it was also very satisfying and cathartic because it helped me deal with a lot of suppressed feelings and emotions and also realizations epiphanies the entire point of writing those columns for me at being able to come to terms with who i am compared to who i used to be and sort of put into context my learnings about my life and about my parents and about our relationship and uh, nobody has an easy relationship with their parents anyone who says they do are lying uh, it's always complex it's always complicated even no matter how cool your parents are even though my parents are the coolest in the world uh, it was always difficult because their marriage was difficult so writing about all of that was never easy and i thought i was sort of crossing the line in terms of how i was telling someone else's story through my lens which is my father's story but then in the end i sort of realized that i'm essentially telling my story uh 
through the lens of my relationship with my parents i'm not really only talking about him i'm talking about my perception of him and how it has changed over the years and how a film like geraya where the father daughter relationship was almost a secondary thread in that film became the primary thread towards the end uh, how that how a scene as small as that made me uh, really rethink uh, almost my entire life with my father and it's very powerful you know if a film can do that if a medium can do that if a short story can do that it's it's amazing that i came to this realization so late in life but you know better late than never and i really wanted to respect uh, the film or the scene or the filmmaking that did that and i wanted to be able to come to terms uh, you know uh, w- with my own sort of very wounded uh, relationship with my father and and you know it gave me great uh, it gave me great satisfaction to write about it and i'm i'm also like i'm fairly sure that my father read about it and we did exchange a few emails about it and we came to uh, we communicated in a way that we've never done before so uh, that's very rare you know for an indian father and son to do that is very rare normally it's the mother uh, but uh, those emails i I've, i've saved and i'll keep them you know for later as well um, because they are a very important part of my uh, of my growth okay now what was the piece that made you most conflicted so that whether you were not sure you liked something or not you know anything on that front you faced some challenges um so most of the time what happens is when you're reviewing a film um that is neither great nor terrible which is most films in a year um and which then sort of falls back on your personal feelings about the film your subjectivity um what happens is you tend to discover your feelings about a film when you're writing only till then you don't know whether you like it or not and this is a rule of thumb i always tell people around me who are watching a film with me don't ask me about whether i liked the film or not after the film don't ask me how is it or don't ask me whatever because even i don't know unless it's you know it's a masterpiece or unless it's terrible which tends to happen quite a bit but in cases of films like say lal singh chadda or in cases of films like um i don't know there, there must be a few more this year like for example i didn't know how to perceive a film like darlings when i first watched it i had to watch it again to review it at thankful it was netflix i could watch it again um so these films you're not sure of your emotions entirely until you're writing the review and when you're writing it you realize okay i'm leaning more towards actually appreciating the film and uh, liking it for what it's trying to do and this happened with darlings this happened with lal singh chadda because when i came out of lal singh chadda i was like uh, you know uh, could have been so much better but then when i was writing about it i was like shit i actually liked it quite a bit um it happened so often like it happened with jalsa also like when i was you know terrific film uh, or like now that i'm looking back one of the best hindi films of the year but when i watched it i was wasn't sure about my feelings because it was a very um if i it was a very understated and subdued film about a thing like morality in indian society that's very rare so as a critic you're not conditioned to watch films like that and uh, and performances like that so again that's another film i sort of figured out my feelings uh, for uh, when i was trying to put uh, words on paper and any critic will tell you uh, who you know who's prolific enough will tell you that uh, when you're reviewing week to week and when you have to 
put out something every week and say and tell people whether you liked a film or not um it's always the case that you're not sure until you finish the review of your feelings even after i finish the review i'm not entirely sure sometimes whether you know whether i liked it or not the, the, it was the same uh, with a lot of films i'm sure if i look back on the list i could tell you that but um, but that's that's that always happens which is why i don't like when critics or reviewers watch a film and immediately put out their tweet saying that you know terrible or great or uh, not sure on the fence um and that's that's not good because then you are denying yourself the privilege of figuring out your own emotions complex emotions about the film when you're writing because then you have to stand by your tweet then you have to stand by your status that you put out in in this hurry to tell everyone that you watched it before everyone else a lot of critics do that and then they are held to that tweet and the, those words they can't take back so you need to give yourself the space to be uh, confused about something and then the art of reviewing is when you trying when your review is basically telling the reader that the you are also trying to figure out your feelings about what you've seen and you're also going on a journey when you're writing the review and um, you know if you're lucky enough a couple bunch of films will do that for you in a year okay now can you tell me some of your favorite uh, scenes or memorable scenes from any of the films english hindi whatever you watched it can be spoiler uh, include spoilers it's okay <laughs> yeah, i'm sorry uh, um i mean i i i'll stick to sort of a couple of films that i've sort of uh, that i've really remembered obviously the you know one of the first one is the geraya scene between father and daughter towards the end of the film which is for more than just personal reasons it's just a beautifully acted film nasiruddin uh, scene because nasiruddin shah is i think he's just a natural treasure and what he does in that scene no senior actor can do uh, and it also shapes the film you know till then you're on the fence about what the hell is this film about how did it become a thriller and then that scene just puts it into context that it's actually about generational trauma and it's actually about uh, you know a daughter and a father uh, so that scene then there's the badhai do scene which the mask he wears in the pride parade towards the end of the film which is one of the best superhero scenes in a film in in a year full of superhero movies uh, i think rajkumar rao was terrific in that film and just the way it was shot you know from a lower angle uh, sort of on the bridge uh the way the amitravedi sort of music picked up at that precise moment it was just it was wonderfully composed and it it still reminds me uh, i mean even though i've seen the film only one second tell you how that scene made me feel um then there was another scene from badai do between the mother shiva chadda and the and the son when 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 she just sort of caresses him on the cheek uh when he comes out uh, in front of his family and when she is the only one who understands him because you know she's been an outcast in her own way in the family because she's been widow uh, um so that was a lovely scene um, and then sort of in uh, i think there's a scene in um, in jalsa um which which was basically towards uh, <clears throat> i think towards the end of the film when um, i mean it wasn't a particular memorable scene in terms of how it was crafted but just in context of the film uh, uh, the the scene 
of sort of Vidya, basically the last shot of the film where Vidya Balan sort of goes to Shefali Shah on the beach and she thinks that her son has been killed as revenge, but no such thing has happened. And both the women just sit down quietly next to each other uh, on on this sort of almost a shipwrecked sort of, uh, um, you know, stage, uh, which, which was very metaphorical, which was uh, a lovely way to end a film that intense and that slow burning in a way. Um, I'm sure there were a bunch of other film uh, scenes in the year, but I, I'd say um, Everything Everywhere All At Once was my favorite film of the year. Uh, it, it did things to me that I didn't imagine a film in 2022 could. Um, my favorite short scene from that film again was mother-daughter scene, uh, which I didn't know what was what the film, where the film was heading till that scene happened, uh, where, you know, first of all, everyone is pulling sort of holding on to each other before they are sucked into that donut towards the end of the film, which was very bizarre to even describe. Uh, I don't know how to describe it unless you see the film. And then the daughter and the mother having a heart-to-heart when the daughter is almost going to sort of being pulled out of her life. It it reminded me very much of uh, Inside Out, which was the Pixar animated film uh, about how when a child becomes, when a child snaps, there is no way back to the parents. Then there's always an um, impenetrable distance between parent and child. And Everything Everywhere All at Once is a film that really flirts with that line and tells us that the daughter came so close to losing a mother, the mother came so close, but they sort of snapped back together like an elastic band right when it was almost too late. So that scene where they speak to each other in a parking lot at the end of the film, I think that was one of my most moving moments of the year. Um, and ditto for decision to leave Love Story, greatest love story I've seen this year. Uh, there was one moment in that film that uh, really stood out, very mundane moment. It was just uh, it was just the detective and uh, the suspect who he's actually fallen in love with. Uh, they are just cooking in a kitchen uh, after sort of she has no, after basically she has uh, not become basically after she's become innocent. Uh, they sort of carry on their very unsaid relationship uh, and they are just, he's just cooking food for her in, uh, you know, in his kitchen and she is sort of helping him cut vegetables and she's smoking and it felt like a very old married couple scene, even though they are very, they are in their thirties. It felt like a, a, a scene of companionship rather than lust or desire, which we tend to see often in films about, um, uh, relation about affairs and they are technically having an affair but um, their companionship is so uh, it's more of soulmates than than people who are attracted to each other so it it just felt like a lovely moment in a film that's trying to make a statement about uh, about how love is perceived okay now you know uh, rrr mania is going crazy <laughs> yeah. do you think Firstly, do you know why it has become like this? Why is the Western world gone crazy? Any insights on that? And do you think it will win the nomination? Uh, your second question first, it's definitely going to win a nomination, at least. Uh, especially with what's gone down in the last six months. It was overlooked for visual effects and uh, weirdly for sound and visual effects. But I have a feeling that it might just uh, make the cut for in the best film list, which are tend to be 10 films now. And uh, um, so that is basically definitely going to happen. As for the hype in the West, uh, 
I don't really understand it because it's a moment. Um, I do understand the psychology behind it. Um, I think the West is used to a certain kind of male bonding, a certain kind of male bonding movie. Uh, they aren't very expressive. The men in the West, uh, compared to say the men in Southeast Asia and South Asia, um, aren't very expressive. Uh, they are a little more masculine about uh, about you know their relationships with each other. So I think when they see a film like this, which is so over the top about, which is essentially a bromance, I think um, I think that is the DNA of the film that has moved them more than the bizarre sort of action and the be- like the beautifully conceived sort of uh, uh, song sequences and and the imagination in the film which all adds to the experience of it i feel like uh, i think the west has gone crazy about this because it first of all it 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 reiterates a lot of stereotypes about india without really patronizing or condescending on it like the lot of the animal things that they, we see in the film a lot of animals a lot of uh, mythology a lot of hindu mythology a lot of um, color and a lot of song and dance uh, so it reiterates all these stereotypes these exotic stereotypes that the west always had about indian films but could never really find an indian film most representative out of all of them because even lagan when it was nominated it was closest to what the west thought an indian film should look like and i think this is also closest in those terms which is not necessarily a bad thing because it's actually the best representative of how big and beautiful an indian film can be uh, in terms of scale and that james cameron and uh, tom cruise and all these guys are the not the only people who can deal with scale so the whole rajamouli craze is is also heartening to see and uh, i i just say that at the core though it's it's about that bromance that we see because there is no nothing else in the film you know there's no love story as such there's no it's just uh, the the entire conflict between the british and the indians are almost secondary to what we see about two enemies technically on the other side of the line and and sort of joining forces to defeat a common enemy so i feel like um, it, it really um, made them um, i think it made the it changed the perception of how Uh, men can be friends with each other in the west and that too given that it's a period film it's all the more powerful so do you think india missed the chance on the lunch box would it have won if they had nominated definitely like i'm not only talking about the quality of the film because uh, sony pictures was sort of backing it so they had the muscle and the money to market the film and get the oscar voters to watch that film and get them to and you know festival performance aside which it did so well across festivals uh, there was a lot of visibility of lunchbox in the west and if there were an indian film that might have uh, really not only been nominated but had a fantastic chance of winning it i think uh, lunchbox we really blew a chance and we did the same thing this year by nominating i think it's a silver lining in the end the fact that uh, we nominated chelo show Uh, last film show uh, another gujarati film again which i thought was really overrated and very pretentious but it seems to be uh, in favor with a lot of because it made the shortlist finally 
but I don't think it's going to be nominated. It's a very strong year for foreign films or international films. So I don't think it's going to be nominated in the final list, and I hope it doesn't get nominated because. But what what happened was because RRR wasn't part of the international submission. I think it's gone all out and gone for the main prize, which is a good thing because that increases uh, the visibility of Indian sort of cinema and the West. Because sure, it would have been nominated in um, in the foreign film category for sure, and it may just have won it. But uh, I feel like the ambition has increased a little now. What's been your favorite uh, OTT series, web series? um i'd say the bear uh, the bear was um, that seri- the series about a uh, uh, michelin star chef who returns to chicago to run uh, his family's sort of very ailing sandwich shop i think i was absolutely blown away by uh, it was just uh, the sort of series that you hoped you could see in a year like 2022 it was about homecoming in a way uh, it was about Uh, coming to terms with your roots and the tragedy of being a certain person in a certain family and i think uh, the you know performances aside i think it was beautifully crafted uh, i think one of the best episodes of the year i saw was that one shot episode which is the penultimate episode of the show where it's it's basically a single take within the kitchen and chaos in the kitchen uh, very difficult to choreograph um i think uh, yeah the bear was definitely um, for me top of the list even though shows like i didn't watch enough shows this year apart from the ones i was reviewing the hindi shows but uh, i'd say the bear and the second season of white lotus i very much enjoyed i it it converted me i was a skeptic at the beginning of the season by the end i was i was absolutely engaged and totally thoroughly thoroughly in part of the popular discourse I haven't seen White Lotus, but I've seen all the memes and the tweets. Did it? Is it similar to Gehrania? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah right. So there's a basically yeah. Without giving too much away, yeah. There's a plot point that is physically looks similar to it, but that's it. Like there's there's nothing. It, it's a meme thing. It's a funny thing. I, I it amused me very much, and uh, I I was so one of my favorite things to do this year was at the end of every White Lotus episode, we dropped every week, which was a genius move, by the way. uh i used to go on the internet before sleeping every night uh, sunday night or monday night after watching a new episode and just going through tweets of white lotus from all over the world just searching for white lotus and some of the funniest things about twitter uh, and the best of twitter was reflected in the memes and in the jokes and in just the collective community uh, discourse surrounding white lotus and just the the lightheadedness the fun of it all was uh, my favorite thing to do this year so those 6 7 weeks i really enjoyed myself yeah i feel like twitter is very good in these sort of things you know like uh, even succession uh, yeah. you would remember like tweet about such fun tweets now i think that glass onion is trending such funny yeah. tweets will trend it's a lot of fun Uh, okay, uh, because I I was seeing all these Jennifer Coolidge memes and I was like, <laughs> yeah. it's and Karina Kapoor tweeted, you know, like Zoya, she said something to Zoya, yeah, let's take it up, something related to it. So it's good. Okay, um, and then what's been your some of your favorite songs of the year? Ah, uh, yeah, good um good question. I'm I'm not big on sort of individual songs as much as soundtracks as i said before um but 
um i really loved the kala soundtrack um, of course you know one of the best of the i really like the gangobai soundtrack uh, especially the song in the car which you know alia um, does so beautifully um i other you know apart from that i really also i'm a big fan of the geraya soundtrack i know it's got a fair bit of flack uh, for being you know too indie and too whispery and too like south bombay uh, but i think as far as um the basically the title track itself i i think as far as how a song sort of belongs to a film i thought like um it was very much the soundscape of geraya itself very much the social landscape the cultural landscape of geraya so i i keep listening to that song from time to time uh, because it's just so it sort of reminds you of the life you're not part of and you feel fortunate at one a uh, level but you also feel unfortunate so that music tends to uh, you know incite a lot of those emotions conflicting emotions in me whenever i learn, whenever i hear the soundtrack uh, apart from that i think the decision to leave soundtrack the final the the, the signature theme of decision to leave is uh, the most beautiful piece composed this year for a film uh, i listened it's my writing music right now whenever i need to somehow write something like that i know i have to do a good job about when i like something i i put on that soundtrack and it really you know it really takes you to places you never imagine you could go to so so yeah those are pretty much my tracks this year and are you covering any more film festivals next year i mean if i'm lucky i i, I would love to like uh, sundance fortunately has gone hybrid so uh do do can go there firstly can now cover it online so it's basically opened the doors to a lot of indian journalists covering it so i think there'll be a maximum amount of uh film critics from here who will be covering sundance this year so i'm very much obviously looking forward to covering it online again this year and especially the documentary section uh, i'm also going to go on record and say that all that beats is going to win the oscar for best documentary feature it's going to make history for india even though everyone's attention is on rrr i think uh, shonak sen's documentary which did win sundance last year i think it's going to uh, win the main prize this year because as part of the uh, international documentary association the ida uh, jury this year uh, so we watched uh, around 50 to 60 of the best documentaries from all around the world to select the nominees and uh, i was on the jury with a lot of filmmakers uh, from all around the world uh, you know from countries i've even never heard of and it was a wonderful experience because we had like three or four uh, discussions about our, uh, about our about our sort of ratings and about our selections and uh, unanimously all that beats was everyone's almost everyone's favorite documentary from all over the world and it was it was lovely to see because i thought it was very indian specific and only indians might have got the context especially the socio political the ecological context uh but i think um, you know a, a lot of international uh, filmmakers and and journalists did get it too and it was very heartening to see so uh, i'm definitely looking forward to watching the oscars because of that because i think and if all that bits ever drops on a platform this year, i'd you know highly recommend it it's one of the best documentaries i've seen apart from that yeah, apart from the sundance film festival i don't know uh, what i'm going to do like two months from now but i always sort of um from month to month i sort of figure out my plan for the year i'd be very happy if i could get an opportunity to cover more film festivals but uh, you know let's hoping for the best this year because I'm, we don't have a film festival in bombay anymore i'm just hoping 
sort of mummy or some version of mummy comes back so that we don't have to end up traveling to either goa or kerala to watch our favorite films and what's been the best written film in the last year uh the best written film in the last year uh yeah always a tough question i think uh, for me i, I think i think uh, everything everywhere all at once was just the audacity to even conceive a film like that to write it and of course it was as far as filmmaking was concerned it was probably the best of the year in that sense like just going with your conviction and we are lucky that a film like that was even made at that budget and and it's it's about something that we got so fatigued about you know that entire parallel universe thing that marvel has really the multiverse thing that marvel has really done to death and it really subverted that entire uh, trope in such a beautiful way that i think the writing was primarily responsible for that and you know not so much the acting or the direction but i think it was easily a film that's going to be looked back on over the years for its screenplay uh, and for the fact that you know uh, a film like that could even be written you know in a year like this and you know my sort of last question for today two things actually hmm. anything that you are looking for next year and then we will close with the writing tip anything that you'd like to share <laughs> okay that's a great last question for the year because uh as so for next year you know anticipation wise i'm always the kind of person who really knows what is releasing two weeks from now uh because i like to live in the moment as far as reviewing is concerned because then you get psychologically a little burdened uh knowing so many releases are coming out but what i'm definitely looking forward to next year is um in terms of hindi cinema it is uh, shriram raghavan's new film merry christmas which was supposed to release on christmas but didn't uh, you know that i'm just so fascinated by the even the audacity to like cast vijay setupati with katrina kaif i just want to see how that goes down Shriram Raghavan is nothing if not in you know fascinating or interesting so i i'm that's the hindi film i'm looking forward most to this year even though there are like three or four shahrukh khan films coming out there are a bunch of stars coming out with their films uh this year but that's the filmmakers film that i'm really looking forward to i'm also i know fableman's steven spielberg's new film has released in the us but it hasn't released in india so Uh, in terms of hollywood that's a film i'm very much looking forward to because first of all it's a personal essay it's his memoir almost and i i love uh, reading those so i i i do love uh, i would love when veteran filmmakers reflect on their life and uh, make self introspective films i'm always a big fan of that because it uh, it reveals a kind of vulnerability that not a lot of filmmakers in the 70s and 80s are even capable of uh, of capable of evoking so i i would i'm very much looking forward to fableman's i'm a big steven spielberg fan as well and of course christopher nolan's new film oppenheimer which is coming out in july um wasn't a big fan of his last film i haven't given myself a chance to watch uh, tenet again i'm very worried about watching it again and not understanding it again but uh, i'm very glad that oppenheimer is releasing this year and it has cillian murphy who's one of the most underrated actors of our generation uh very keen to see what he does with something 
as uh, historical as the maker of the atom bomb and uh, of the nuclear and the the trigger of the nuclear age i want to see how in terms of morality he plays with the form and you know christopher nolan will play with the form you know that for a fact and uh, uh, even after all these years i'm still looking very much forward to a july release uh, which is a christopher nolan one so so yeah these are definitely the titles i'm these are my at least my most anticipated titles i'm sure if you ask me every month there'll be you know additions to that over the next year but uh, for now this is this is it and uh, in terms of writing tips yeah you said that as well uh, in terms of writing tips i don't i mean what i said last time uh, was probably you know the thing i've learned the most but i'm going to say that um, i'd say that in this particular age where um, where it's overwhelming to see the amount of titles the amount of content so to say that is coming out there in this particular age as a aspiring film critic or as as a film writer or as a veteran um it's very important to be able to first of all pick and choose and compartmentalize and prioritize what you're going to write about and what you want to give your mental bandwidth to because see it's very as a person covering a particular section of cinema like for me hindi cinema it's sometimes disappointing that i can't write everything i can't write about everything that releases sometimes the smaller films sometimes the short films sometimes the web shows that nobody else is watching which i used to pride myself on doing a couple of years ago but now i've reached a stage where i have to make the tough decisions and i have so many sometimes disappointed filmmakers or writers messaging me why didn't you review ours you know ours came in the same week as a brahmastra or as any other film i was like you know i'm i'm really i apologize but we've reached a stage where we also have to pick and choose uh, for our sanity we don't want to i don't want to not do justice to something i'm writing about and i don't want to just do it for the sake of it i see a lot of veteran critics putting out one or two paragraphs about a about a independent film or short film and writing a very half hearted so to say review about these these titles with with their intention is to just make people aware of the film not so much explore the film or write about it i'm not a big fan of that because when i write about a film i want to do total justice to it and um, i guess if i when i age with time i might change my attitude about that but uh, I, i'm not so much about spreading awareness or being pr for these films as much as i am about uh, taking forward the craft of writing about film as well so so i that is the one sort of advice in a way i tell myself all the time that now you've reached a stage where you need to be smart about what you're doing and you can't overburden yourself because this is the year in which i did uh, experience a fair amount of fatigue because of i wanted to write about everything the the best of hollywood the best of world cinema the best of hindi cinema uh, but i could not and it 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 bothered me and it also took away a lot of my passion for writing uh, in the middle of the year and you know it's come back now but it's been a tough journey so that would be my greatest learning from the year uh, that i have to be a little more tempered in in my approach towards uh, reviewing and towards being able to write about everything i want to because in the at the end of the day if i don't write my column for a couple of weeks or a month or two i get very angsty and get very frustrated with the fact that i'm only reviewing films i need to put myself a little more out there and that only happens through my column and it's the only kind of writing i'm very passionate about so so i have to maintain that kind of balance so 
I'd always advise for writers to find something that makes them happy and do their kind of writing on the side so that they can maintain their passion for their professional writing uh, that they do. Okay. All right. Thanks, Rahul, for the tip. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening to this podcast. Uh, we'll hopefully be back soon next year. So we'll wrap it up for today. We are right at the one hour mark. So uh, wish everybody a happy new year and we will be back in the next year. So thanks, everybody. Thank you.